is this a founder who's both dynamic and convicted and can respond and pivot as the market changes and like can continuously learn from their mistakes and is coachable. Uh, so I think early stage is really a product of those things because there's not a ton of business fundamentals to go off of. Hey, this is Jesse here, and you're about to hear episode 102 with Andrew and Ethan Ehrenberg from Eberg Capital. In their discussion with guest host Benji Cherniak, they share some insight into how Eberg Capital operates as a family business alongside their father, Roger, why they have such deep conviction about the future growth potential of sports betting as a category, and what opportunities excite them the most. This was a 10 out of 10 episode, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. The Betting Startups podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming market. Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at optimove.com slash betting startups. And if you like what you see, you'll get your first month free. All right, we are back with episode 102 of the Betting Startups podcast. And back with us once again is our friend Benji Cherniak, who returns for the second episode of his February residency here. Benji, as it's only been a week since the last episode, you guest hosted, we'll skip the update from you and get right into the preview. You spoke with Andrew and Ethan Ehrenberg in this one, two of the three principals at Eberg Capital, who have very quickly become one of the most prominent firms deploying capital within the real money gaming space. This was a super insightful episode, I thought, that really provided a unique window into the inner workings of any firm, but particularly theirs, of course. Far too many individual anecdotes to list here. So again, maybe you can just quickly tee up your conversation with Andrew and Ethan uh, for the audience here. Yeah, I got to say, I really enjoyed doing this one. I know Andrew and Ethan not all that well. And I think when we think of Eber Capital, most of us think about Roger, just given his pedigree and everything he's done throughout his career, and, and rightly so, right? And I just thought it would be really interesting to get under the hood of Ethan and Andrew, who are doing a lot of the day-to-day work that makes Eber Capital tick. And just being able to hear their story and you know, it's such a unique situation that they're in and the journey that they're in and the companies that they're working with. And I really, really enjoy talking to them. Well, yet again, thanks for making this one happen. Uh, my only reservation about inviting guest hosts on is it means I can't speak with these amazing guests, but you know what? That's okay. It's for the greater good. This one was chock full of useful insights. So appreciate you making it happen. And on to the discussion with Andrew and Ethan from Eberg Capital. Hey everyone, this is Benji Cherniak sitting in once again for Jesse, welcoming you all back to the Betting Startups podcast. Got a really fantastic group of guys or two guys here with me today. Typically it's a one-on-one. Today we got a pair of brothers that many of you may know in the industry, welcoming Ethan and Andrew Ehrenberg to the podcast from Eber Capital. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us, Benji. I guess with two of you, I've got to direct who I'm saying should be speaking at the same time to avoid that. So we'll work on that as we go forward here, guys. But listen, great to have you. And I'd love to get into a little bit of what you guys are up to and the investments you guys are making. But I think I'll start, maybe we'll start with you, Andrew, because you're the older brother, then pivot to Ethan. And I'd love to hear a bit about your background and how you got into the space. Ethan, we'll do the same with you. And then we can just kind of talk about what you guys are doing. Absolutely. So... Graduated from Michigan in 2019. We're a huge Wolverines family. So obviously we're all very happy people right now. I'm studying information analytics in college. It was kind of at the intersection of product and informatics. 
kind of got into sports betting on the back half of my college career, just as a sports fan and general consumer of products. Also, a lot of stuff wasn't available at that point. After that, I worked at a company called Data Robot. Basically, exactly did what I studied to do. Worked at the intersection of data science and product there. Did that for three years. As we were doing that, Ethan and I started seeing a bunch of startups emerging in the space. My dad was starting to make a few investments, which we'll talk a little bit about later. But yeah, ultimately had a unique opportunity that we never really expected to work with him and kind of jumped in feet first, but kind of cut my teeth working at another tech-based VC in New York for a while and then ultimately joined um, my dad full-time. Cool. Ethan, maybe give me a quick rundown on your end and I'll, I'll kind of pivot that into another question, which is kind of like, and you touched on it, Andrew, which is how this kind of fund came to be and how it came to be that the two of you partnered with your dad to begin making all this happen within our industry. But Ethan, over to you for a bit of background as we pivoted to that question also. Yeah, sure. My background's a little bit shorter than my brother's, of course, given that I just graduated in 22 from Michigan. But we went to high school together. We were very serious baseball players, always kind of diehard sports fans, and then carried that love and passion for sports into college. And I always kind of saw myself going to sports management school at Michigan, but it ended up that I uh, was able to get into Ross and that was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down where, you know, I lot, learned a bunch of business fundamentals that I still use to this day. But while I was at Michigan, I actually made a lot of buddies from Chicago who kind of exposed me to this whole world of sports betting that I was previously unaware of for some reason that really that culture hadn't made it up to New York. And so I won't get into details, but in college, I had the opportunity to be involved in the sports betting space in a way that I may not have previously imagined. And by doing so, kind of took away a lot of insights and it really kind of drove a passion that kind of carried me into this space. If we didn't start Eberg, I think there's a good chance that I'd be working down south in Miami with the better team and Joey. But yeah, it was really just kind of through that process in college of being exposed to sports betting. I placed my first sports bet in 2019 on Tiger Woods to win the Masters. And safe to say after that, I was kind of hooked on the space and yeah, I'm really just happy to be working with my dad and my brother, two of my best friends, and learning a lot growing every day. You got to be lucky to be good and good to be lucky when it comes to those first bets, Ethan. But I'll stick with you here, Ethan. Like, how did it come about that, like, what made you guys decide to, in Andrew's case, you know, move full-time from his other career aspirations into this industry for you upon graduating to join forces with Andrew and your dad to come into this industry? And why this industry? You know, I get it that you guys like sports, but was it a scenario where you guys felt that this is a great value proposition from an investment standpoint, as opposed to investing in healthcare or something else? And kind of what were the dynamics that led you guys to come together and do this? Yeah, so I think it's really the intersection of passion and opportunity. I think, you know, once PASPSO was repealed in 2018, we saw a lot of different companies, as Andrew mentioned, getting into the space. And we had a lot of our own ideas, and I think Andrew may have touched on this briefly, but we actually spent a bunch of time my sophomore year of college and I think his first year out of college on Zooms together, kind of crafting a business plan for what we called A&E Sports, which was essentially a sports book geared towards high net worth individuals with this whole concierge piece and brand relationships. And it was really differentiated offering in terms of these trend bets. And we can get into that another time. 
but we just saw a lot of opportunity out of the gates. And I know what Raj felt was, is that there was kind of a, a dearth of capital that was coming into at least the more early stage investments in the space. And he thought that we might be able to replicate, you know, the playbook that he ran at IA. And for me, you know, we actually started this while I was still a senior at Michigan. And so it became a little bit hard to pay attention to my Ross classes when, when I was uh, on Zooms with founders out of class. But it was kind of just a natural evolution of our dinner table conversations turning into investing together as a casual activity, which ultimately evolved into a real business. Cool. And just for those listening in, uh, you hear Ethan refer to Raj. He's referring to his dad, Roger Ehrenberg, who was, who's partners with Ethan and Andrew. And, you know, you can get a bit of background of his history in the space if you don't know who he is by Googling him. But thinking back to the task at hand, Andrew, coming back to you, you can add whatever you like to that component in terms of what made you guys come together into this. But more so, can you tell me about the fund and the fund structure and is it two funds? Is it one fund? How do you guys work together alongside Roger to make this happen? And, you know, if you give me some, some structure in terms of how you brought this thing together and what the fund structure is and check sizes and things of that sort, it'd be pretty cool to hear. Totally. So I don't really have anything to add to the origin story. I think Ethan did a beautiful job conveying that. In terms of fund structure, there are two vehicles. And just to make the distinction, there's one vehicle that makes significantly larger investments. It's the family office funds. It's basically an intersection of real estate, sports franchises, some public companies, things of that nature, larger checks. And then Eberg Capital is the fund that still family money, but the fund that my brother, my dad and I are all equal partners in. And you know, been an evolving process and we kind of started it as an experiment and we've started to kind of find our wheelhouse in terms of the kinds of deals and structures that we're looking for. We started kind of participating in bigger rounds, writing smaller checks, taking smaller ownership, but we realized that wasn't really working for us because ultimately my dad realized that he kind of did that at the beginning and realized that didn't work for them. It was better to get more skin in the game partner with founders from the beginning and kind of work alongside as an additional co-founder. We ended up kind of settling in at this really, I would say 500K to 1.5 million check size range where we're taking initially somewhere in the high single digit ownership percentages. And then this market has really offered an opportunity for us to double dip on some of our core portfolio assets that we have strong conviction in and to take the next step in partnering with our founders and in a number of cases have moved more towards like 15 to 20 percent ownership where we've given the opportunities for founders to get additional runway and have more time to prove out their initial theses but in exchange, we get a larger ownership percentage of the company. So it's really a win-win for both sides. Makes sense. Uh, let me stay with you here, Andrew, because you talk, you mentioned your founders and, and them having a chance to prove out their theses as entrepreneurs. And what types of companies are you guys looking to invest in? And, and what type of founders are you looking to back? And what are some of the things that you look for in a company? What are the must-haves? You know, how do you approach that whole dynamic in terms of evaluating companies? Since we're coming in super early stage, it's really a founder's first approach. And we kind of look at, is this a founder who's 
both dynamic and convicted and can respond and pivot as the market changes and like can continuously learn from their mistakes and is coachable. Uh, so I think early stage is really a product of those things because there's not a ton of business fundamentals to go off of. In terms of the area that we're focusing on, my dad authored a blog post specifically about Better, which is a slightly larger company at this point, but about the entertainmentification of sports. And I think that has really guided the core thesis that we have around sports betting, where we feel like we're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg for where the market is today. You have the massive incumbents in FanDuel and DraftKings who have obviously great products, but I think they're really just scratching the surface of what's possible when you think of watch and bet, when you think about the introduction of alternative sports markets, the fact that responsible gaming is kind of a talking point at this point. It hasn't really been integrated into the products to the degree that I think it will in the future. So just kind of anticipating those things and anticipating the fact that this market's going to be serving a much broader percentage of addressable better base right now. I think somewhere between six and 8% of the addressable markets betting today, but in the future, we believe it's going to be much more because a lot more people than that watch sports. And I think better is really at the nucleus of this strategy, but there's so many additional products and services that we've invested in that I think kind of feed into that entertainment thesis and the more consumerization thesis that addresses a broader market. Ethan, I want to double down on that theme and ask you about this because being a relatively recent Michigan graduate, I say Michigan, I, I you know, got to give you guys props on that championship. But, you know, I, I come to Ethan and I say, like, you represent some of that generation of kind of gamification or as your dad called it, entertainmentification or whatever it may be. Like, to what extent did you look at you and your peer group and your habits as you evaluate companies and think of what they might represent going forward? And, you know, I've been using the Wayne Gretzky analogy lately, which is you want to be skating to where the puck is headed. And that's how he scored all his goals. He wasn't a faster skater. But how do you think about that in terms of the next generation of betters, people that are more within your age group and how you view the sports engagement experience. I don't want to keep it a straight. This is a betting startups podcast, but I recognize that you guys are investing in, in sports teams and engagement companies across the entire ecosystem of sports, including media companies. So I'm just wondering how you view it, Ethan, as it pertains to you and your peer group, and of course you as well, Andrew, and how you use that to influence the thought process of investments moving forward. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really big part of it. And if not the reason, definitely one of the reasons why Raj sees us as such valuable partners, at least in this aspect of the business, when looking at some of our investments like Slamball, WagerWire, Better, and he really kind of relies on us in that voice of customer aspect where we we really understand what consumers in, in our demo are looking for. And oftentimes we'll talk with our buddies about it and get feedback from them, little personal surveys. And yeah, I just think that that's constantly been a, a value add to the business. And whether it's, you know, leveraging social media or influencers or kind of thinking about what would we like to watch and play with? I was actually having this conversation yesterday. I mentioned this to Andrew in uh, the program that I just started at Columbia, where I'm getting my master's in sports management, where we were talking about just the notion of watch and bet and how FanDuel has this thing now where they have relationships with networks and you could 
bet $50 on a game and gain instantaneous access to a stream and just how compelling of a value prop that is. And for the UFC, for example, this whole notion of pay-per-view where you could maybe have something where if you bet X dollars, you don't need to pay for the pay-per-view outside of that. It could be, you know, at a discount and with the hope that you would continue to bet beyond that. There's all of these creative ways that you can go about it. And I think that Andrew and I kind of being in the weeds and having many friends that live and breathe this kind of is a major value add to the company. For sure. And, and that isn't necessarily exclusive to the two of you. You know, I think that a number of the entrepreneurs in our space, you could be an entrepreneur of any age, but there's a number of emerging entrepreneurs in our space, some that you guys are investing in, who also represent that next generation. I guess that brings me to you, Andrew. When we look at your portfolio companies, obviously, when you look at yourself, Ethan, and of course your dad and the three of you as a team, you're deploying capital, but you're doing more than that. You're working alongside companies and, and guiding their path forward, getting involved operationally in some instances. You kind of think about the value that you guys want to add to your founders beyond the deployment of capital and, and how you can help these companies moving forward in all aspects of their journey. Yeah, well, I think because we're so laser focused on these core companies and we spend so much time with them, we're kind of week to week in calls with them, sometimes with customers, sometimes with other investors. We help them raise money. We give constantly are giving product feedback. That's to Ethan's point, because we're kind of representing the voice of the user. We can go in and actively play with their products and provide insights on other things we're seeing in the space and things that we like, things that we don't like. So it's always a continuous conversation. Obviously, my dad brings 20 years of business building experience to the table, more actually, but he brings all that. And so I think the combination of us representing voice of the user and him having that kind of insight is super valuable. I think we roll up our sleeves much more than the average investor. To give an example of this, I actually moved out to LA earlier this year to work alongside one of our portfolio companies, WagerWire, and kind of joined as a business development guy for the company. I've been helping them talk to sports books. I've been helping them with their investment and with the way they communicate with investors and just kind of plugged into the business, really all aspects of the business and been working alongside them for eight months in LA now, which has been a really unique opportunity. They've also become some of my closest friends. Ethan, <laughs> coming back to you, like, you know, being someone who's recently graduated from university, this is a really interesting dynamic because here you are alongside Andrew and your dad. Not that Andrew's an old guy, but he's a couple of years ahead of you in the, in the cycle of life. So I guess, like, how much of this for you are you viewing as finding ways to add operational value alongside your dad and Andrew, the way he's working with WagerWire and clearly adding value operationally? How much for you of it is viewing it as an opportunity to operationally add value versus being a sponge and soaking up knowledge of all these experiences and how you view that dynamic interacting? That is a very good question. I think it would be naive to say that coming out of college, I could act as a, you know, a veteran VC in the way that Raj has or leverage some of the experiences that Andrew had had working at a data robot that I might not have. I would like to think that I learned a lot 
through my schooling and can add some value through that and just kind of always having this entrepreneurial mindset. But yeah, I think a huge part of it is really just learning on the job and offering whatever value that I that I have to our founders and to my partners, whether that is, you know, doing different write-ups on prospective companies or networking and leveraging the network to benefit our different companies. I think something that Andrew didn't touch on that's a really crucial value out of ours is that we've kind of built this synergistic portfolio where our companies really can benefit one another. And I think something that I do fairly well is kind of thinking creatively about, you know, which one of our companies at a given point in time might make sense to work with another one of our companies, or if not work with, provide strategic advice. And as Andrew mentioned, I think better kind of sit at the center of our portfolio. And you may see in the next year or so, we could have a couple of our companies that are not peripheral companies in the sports betting space, but are more specific, whether it's in RG or a certain content angle or alternative sports where better could really lift them up and in turn, they could lift better up. So I would say at this point, it's a, maybe a 50-50 mixture of just kind of shadowing my dad and spending time working with my brother and learning so much every day and then actually providing real value. And I just want to make the point that Ethan's selling himself short and being very humble. I always forget that he's a year or two out of college. I learn from him every day. He brings so much insight to the table. So I just want to give him a lot of credit there. Yeah, absolutely. Little brotherly love in the podcast. You got to love it. You, you touched on a couple of interesting points there, Ethan, also as it pertains to like some of your portfolio companies and finding ways for via your investments to kind of bring things together from some of your companies via, via partnership. Like how much of the thought process when you're making investments, and I'll stick with you here real quickly, Ethan, and then I'll come back to you, Andrew, on the next component of the question, but how much thought process is there as you're evaluating a new investment opportunity as to whether or not it will be synergistic with some of your other companies and how they could work together? I know that once you've made the investments, you're going to always find ways for portfolio companies to help one another. But how much of it is it a part of the thought process when you're making an investment of, hey, this company would be a good investment. And a part of the reason why is it would fit really well with this other company we're already involved with. That's a great question. I would say it plays a role. How big, I would say not very. I think that we kind of look at each investment opportunity individually. We spend a lot of time with the founder. They kind of need to have this aspirational mindset in terms of what they can do in the industry, what their vision is for the company. And as Andrew said, you know, willingness to adapt and communicate. And at the end of the day, it's really about the founder and the founding team more than anything else. But is there some sort of value add in our thought process around an investment prior to making the investment? If it could be synergistic, there's no doubt about it. Curious to hear what Andrew has to say on that, but that would be my quick take. Yeah, I would just say it is a core part of our diligence process in many cases at this point where we, at the very least, would like to introduce them to a founder who has an adjacent or related business and see how they sandbox together, maybe run some sort of quick and dirty proof of concept, see how both our founder responds and how the founder we're diligencing responds. And that honestly informs some of our decision-making process. Like, I don't think it's the end-all be-all, but it's definitely a part of it. And just looking with you here, like, obviously there's three of you within the organization. How do you guys divide tasks between, between all of you and more specifically between you and your brother? So I want to keep the focus on the two of you as opposed to your dad, but 
how do the two of you divide tasks? Like what are your strengths? What are Ethan's strengths? And how do you kind of use that as a catalyst to ensure that you're maximizing uh, deliverables, both in terms of research and in terms of assisting portfolio companies? Yeah, so I'll address process first, and then we can go into a little bit about personality types and how I feel they complement each other. But basically, when a deal comes inbound, sometimes it comes to my dad, sometimes it comes to Ethan, sometimes it comes to me. The usual thing that happens is either Ethan or I take the initial call. And if we really like it, one of two things happens. We either take a second call where we're both together talking to the company. And if we both come to a consensus that it's worth the big guy's time, then we bring it to him and we do a proper partner call. In some cases, if one of us has a ton of conviction and my dad likes the initial diligence, one of us did on the company, sometimes we skip right to the partner call and don't do that intermediate call. So I think it's typically like that. And then when it comes to making a final decision, I would say for the most part, if my dad says not interested, the answer is no. There have been a couple cases where one of us had an unusual amount of conviction about a company and is willing to stick our neck out. But we both know that we have limited bullets in the chamber to do things like that. And that's something that we've come to learn over time as we've been a lot more selective and focused with our capital. And so that's kind of evolved over time. And to address the second point about personality types, I'm the eternal optimist. I always am looking for ways to make things work. And I'm, I'm an ideas guy. I'm a great top of funnel guy. I'm pretty good with deal flow. I'm always bringing in stuff. I'm the one who likes to go to conferences of the three of us more than the other two. They like that stuff too, but I would say that's an area where I thrive. Ethan, on the other hand, is a super creative thinker, but is a lot more methodical and disciplined in his thinking. And I think the balance of what Ethan brings to the table and what I bring to the table creates a really balanced perspective. I think my dad honestly has some of both. And part of that's his personality. And part of that is something he's honed over three decade career of just doing this every day. But I think two skill sets are extremely complementary. And I, I could see at some point in the future, I mean, there's obviously the funds, but I think Ethan and I would be great co-founders for that exact reason in anything we do. Is, is that a little trailer that you guys starting a company, the two of you, anytime soon? Stay on the lookout, Benji. I, I still haven't lost hope for any. We were ahead of our time with that one. I'm um, just one thing that I'd add to what Andrew said on the first piece is that for us to come to a decision, it really is a collective effort. And ultimately, it takes the three of us. I think that's something that's very similar to, you know, the game plan that they ran at IA is there's nobody that's going to kind of force a deal through. Of course, we're going to value his take a little bit above ours, given his experience. But at the end of the day, Andrew and I do both need to be on board. And also, if he doesn't love a deal necessarily, and we have, we feel highly convicted about it, he will most certainly take another look. All he wants is for us to be doing as much, if not more work than him, which is the least we should be doing. So as long as we're willing to put in the work, do the diligence, talk to people, in and around the company, he is happy to dig back in and give it another look. And I'm not going to name names, but there have been a few companies where we've ultimately invested and they've become core positions where he initially, you know, he may not have been as hot on them as we were, but after 
looking through our diligence and then taking time to get to know the founders, he changed his opinion. So yeah, no, it's, it's really a team effort there. This is going to be an unfair question, but like, cause you're so early, the two of you and your trajectory within the dynamic that you're working towards, which is Eber Capital. Could you see a day where the two of you are investing in companies kind of have some sort of an investment fund, be it your own capital and or outside capital? independent of your dad where he's moved on and he's kind of doing something else, maybe doing a bit of advising to you guys, but could you see that down the line? Yeah. So I'll touch on that really quickly. And then Andrew can hop in. I think the short answer is yes, but there is no world where we would give Raj, you know, the iron boot and say, we want to do this without you. I think we'd <laughs> always appreciate having his expertise and also me Andrew, and Raj. And of course my mom, but the three of us were really best friends and enjoyed doing this together. I think in order for us to start a fund, Andrew and I kind of need to be self-sufficient. And at this point, not that Andrew and I couldn't be good investors together, but Raj is really such a key piece of the puzzle at this point that we need a lot of his time and energy. But when that is no longer true and we can kind of go to him for major decisions or really just for advice, but when Andrew and I can fully negotiate the deals and feel like we're providing our founders with the value that they deserve in upholding kind of the Eberg or Ehrenberg name, then we would really, we would consider uh, raising a fund. I think that could definitely be in the cards a few years down the line. At some point for my mother's sake, I think my dad's going to want to take a less role in managing day-to-day -day operations in the future. So the objective is to get Ethan and I to the point where we can more actively manage every aspect of the process, whether it's interacting with lawyers and negotiating term sheets and even some of them imparting some of the general business knowledge that really is our dad's special sauce today that obviously we add value to, but there's a level of experience that he brings to the table that we just can't emulate a few years out of college, Ethan, just fresh out of college. But I, I think that's something that we're going to work towards over time. And as Ethan said, we're super close friends and we love doing this together. And when that day comes, that doesn't mean dad's going to be completely off the clock. It's just going to mean that we can take a more active and engaged role in managing pieces of the process that we don't today. Cool. We're getting down to kind of the latter stages of our time together here, guys. I'm going to stay with you here, Andrew. And, you know, I know you guys have spoken a bit about better earlier in the podcast. Obviously, it's a meaningful part of the portfolio. And you guys also wrote a, if I'm not mistaken, a sizable check into slam ball and maybe a bit of the thought process there. And I guess what part of my question is this for you, Andrew, is what is the thought process when you guys double down with a much more significant check for a company, like in the case of a better, like in the case of a slam ball. And does that mean that those companies become higher priority for the three of you as it pertains to involvement going forward versus companies where you might have written a check a quarter the size of those companies. So I thought it's two questions in one, and I'm going to leave it with you, Andrew, to comment on it. Well, to clarify, we were involved in Instabet, now known as Better from the beginning, because we wrote a check into SimpleBet back in 2020 that evolved into early involvement with Instabet, where we wrote a smaller check, but as we've gotten to know Joey and gotten to know the business, when he brought on Jake and when they had this broad vision of creating this integrated product and media strategy and really disrupting the way people thought about sports betting product and the quality of the team that he was able to bring on, this at the end of the day 
as much as anything else is a conviction bet on Joey as a founder and on Joey's ability to succeed at all costs. And obviously we love the business and we love the business model and we think it's pretty unique in the industry at this point. I think that our involvement obviously been extremely valuable to Joey there, but I wouldn't say we're more involved there than we are with other core portfolio assets. In some ways, day-to-day we're less involved because they have a larger staff at this point. And Joey is a self-sufficient founder who comes to us when he needs us. And for some of our founders, we're much more involved week to week. So I wouldn't even characterize it like that. In terms of our mind share and our focus, we're obviously thinking about better and how some of our other portfolio assets relate to better every day. And that's something that I think represents how involved we are there. But in terms of time, I don't know if it's split up that way. In terms of slam ball, that's one where even though slam ball is a significantly larger check because it's inherently to get off the ground a more capital intensive business, that's one where we are involved day to day and week to week because we're really at the early stages of building out the sport. And we're partnered with Mason and Mike and the whole team on making sure that thing gets to the next stage because we had a pretty successful initial season and there's a lot to love about what we did there. But there were leaps and bounds away from establishing a premium sports property. So we are committed to willing this thing to success when it comes to helping them secure sponsors, helping them raise their rounds. We were instrumental in helping them put together both of their funding, all of, basically all of their funding rounds at this point. And yeah, so we're really true operating partners in that business. Cool. So Ethan, I want to kind of come back to you and ask you, like, obviously, Andrew moves to LA and is taking an involvement with WagerWire on a more operational basis. Are there any companies of the ones that you're involved with that you're a bit more involved with than the others from a communication standpoint? Or to the extent that there aren't any that maybe we haven't even discussed here today yet on the podcast that are really compelling that you think have a great opportunity? Or is it more of a scenario where you, you love all your children equally here? I certainly do love all of my children equally. I would never say that I love one more than another. But um, yeah, there's definitely companies where I will spend a little bit more of my time than others. So just quickly, yeah, Andrew and I kind of have this structure where we are point people for different investments. Essentially, all that means is that every call, every meeting, the point person is on it. The other brother is oftentimes on it as well whenever they can be, because I think we would ideally be on every call. But yeah, there'll be certain companies where it'll take more of a focus for one of us than the other. I would say for me, honestly, the two companies that we're talking about is probably where I've gone the deepest. As I mentioned a while back, I was talking to Joey in college kind of with the idea that I'd go and work for him after and then you know this whole ebert thing started but the passion for better really did not dissipate at all and i had a part-time role kind of as a consultant whatever you want to call it with better where i was working deeply with the media team and mike denevi and kind of just helping them devise different campaigns and strategies around free to play and integrating that with product with alex ursa so i spent a lot of time with the better team and ultimately uh actually one of my closest friends from college ended up going out there to work for them. Shout out Harrison Powers. So that's definitely been a big one for me. And then Slamball as well, I think partially because that was one of those companies where 
Andrew was around, but Andrew actually at the time was working for another tech company, which he could briefly touch on if he wants to. So Raj and I kind of did the majority of the diligence on the slam ball deal. And that was one where he thought it was cool, but you know, he initially was a little bit resistant because I don't think that he kind of had the same experience that I had with slam ball growing up, watching the clips. I think I was a little bit late for the whole spike TV deal, but the YouTube clips, me and my friends, we lived and breathed that. And I knew about the excitement around a potential return for slam ball that hashtag bring back slam ball got 200 plus million hits on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. And so I was kind of a champion for that deal. And so whether it was putting the round together, Raj reached out to a lot of the Philly mafia, but I remember I spent a lot of time talking to Lloyd Danzig about it, a fellow uh, guy in the industry who I think most of you probably know well. But yeah, no, I spent a lot of time with the better team, with Mason, with Mike Tolan, and really just kind of dug in there. And it was really a pleasure to go out to Vegas and kind of see it all come to fruition last summer. Nice. Just a final question here, guys, because we're going a little bit over on time, and I'm really enjoying having a conversation with you both. You know, now that you've been at this a little while, uh, you're involved with a number of companies. You're also getting to see a whole bunch of companies in our space thinking more on the sports betting side as opposed to, you know, the team side, but a number of companies in our space that, that you aren't involved with. Is there any company in particular that's kind of impressed you or that you have your eye on? In a minute or less, I'll go with each of you and I'll start with you, Ethan. I'm going to give you two quick ones, each 15 seconds. First, as a league, I'm a big fan of what PFL is doing and Don Davis, kind of betting forward, fighter-friendly, taking on a challenger that's made a lot has been incredibly successful in the UFC, but also has made a lot of mistakes. And I think that they're really going to capitalize on that. And I know we're short on time, so I'll quickly move over to another one and one that I believe that you're actually involved with in shot quality, where uh, Simon Gersberg is the head of the ship there. And I just thought that super compelling story, you know, basketball data company kind of using AI and computer vision for precise locations and just all of the use cases that can come out of that, whether it's helping UConn in their pursuit of a national championship last year, or it's the sports betting applications, which I believe they've recently uh, made public with shot quality bets. It, I am really impressed by Simon and think that that company is going to do great things. To touch on a slightly more established company that's been around for a little bit at this point, one that I wish if we had a time machine, we could go invest in. Love what US Integrity has done. I think on the date when the Pathball language came out and they were able to identify that every sport needed an integrity monitor and they were able to leverage that into building what is essentially a monopoly in the integrity space. And I really don't think anybody can compete with them at this point. Matt Holt has done a very good job making sure of that. I think they've built such an incredible moat for themselves and I don't see that going anywhere anytime soon because this is, you know, as we think about betting and fairness and integrity, they have the full suite solution for that. And they've been doing it since the dawn of the online sports betting industry at this point. And yeah, there's no signs of stopping them. Guys, we're wrapping it up uh, on that take as you get the last note. But I, I will just make a quick comment in closing here before we kind of wrap up for the day that I'm glad I got to do this podcast with the two of you. I know that, you know, a lot of the attention for what Eber Capital does goes to your dad and rightly so. But having spent not all that much time, but enough time to be dangerous with the two of you and seeing the way that you compose yourselves in meetings, seeing the way that you network, seeing the way that you guys give 100% to your portfolio companies 
And even the way you're answering the questions with the real level of maturity here today, you know, wisdom above your years and punching above your weight, no question that, you know, you and your family have been a breath of fresh air for our industry, doing really good things and just really thankful uh, as someone who cares about the industry that you guys are involved and hopefully will be for many years to come. So thank you for joining us here today. We'll talk to you guys again soon. And thanks to everyone for listening. That means a lot, Benji. Thank you. Appreciate you, Benji. Thanks, guys. The Betting Startups Podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming market. Four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. Learn more about Optimove by requesting a demo at optimove.com slash bettingstartups. And if you like what you see, you'll get your first month free.